welcome to everyone tonight. We are glad that all of you are here. If you are a guest this evening, we welcome you tonight. We're glad to have you with us. To all of those that may be joining us online, we welcome you tonight as well. I feel like it has been forever since I have taught on Thursday nights um, because either not being here, Oikos night, or um, the four sessions of, uh, of the family um, series we did. Obviously, I taught as a part of that, but that's a little different than, than this. So um, I, I, I want I, I um, a, very, a very high percentage here this evening, which is it's the case a lot of, or most Thursday nights, not just a point about this evening. On any given Thursday night, a very high percentage of you are either very actively involved in ministry, or if you're not necessarily in ministry yet, the fact that you're here demonstrates a hunger and a desire to grow, to find your place in the kingdom. I know that the majority of you know this, but let me just remind you, and maybe there's somebody that you're not, you don't really know this. How many, how many ministers do we have here this evening? Let me see the hands of the ministers. A few of you got it, and a few of you didn't. I didn't say, let me see the hands of licensed ministers. Or I said, how many ministers? So if you've got the Holy Ghost, I know, that was intentionally to trick you. But if you've got the Holy Ghost, you are a minister. You are called to ministry. It's not God's plan for any born-again believer, any child of His, to be a spectator. And so I, I want to, I what, what I feel to share with you this evening, I want you to kind of hear it really kind of in that context. So I hope and pray those of you that are actively in ministry, it'll, it'll help. And then those of you that are growing and developing into roles of ministry, that it'll be something that as you, as you get there, uh, it'll, it'll help you. In, in, in the course of the last several months, I feel like one of the things that God has been trying to work on me on is, in, in a couple of different ways, the things that I use as, as measurements whether that has to do with sort of in the broadest sense, how are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a congregation? All the way down to just my own personal walk with God, relationship with God. And the problem is, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone on this. What is oftentimes our go-to measurements are really not the things God cares all that much about. But the challenge is we continue to try to define success or failure by those things that God is not really using. How many of you, this is not a trick question, so I feel like I'm getting a little better at this trick question thing, so I got to, you know, preface. This is not a trick question, so don't sit and stare at me. 
How many of you, again, let's, in, the, in the basic context of ministry, how many of you want to be successful at what you're doing, at what God has called you to do, whether that's what you're doing right now? And you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a number of you here that what you're doing right now is not your ultimate calling. It's just a part of God's process of developing you and, and growing you. And so whether it's where you are right now or where God's taken you, you, you want to be, be successful. You, you want to be, cons- be able to consider yourself a success. You, you want others to consider. Anybody? Yeah. So uh, you can come now ready here. The, the, the word success, according to Webster's, is degree, it's a degree or measure of succeeding. It is a favorable or desired outcome. A favorable or desired outcome. According to dictionary.com, I don't know about you, but there's just something that seems suspect or cheesy about dictionary.com. Webster's is, you know, that's the, but I did like the way it said it, so dictionary.com says that success is the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. So Webster's, again, the second part of Webster's definition, success is a favorable or desired Outcome. Somebody say outcome. It is, according to dictionary.com, the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. And, and, and really, I think you could put wealth, position, and honors in the context, in the category of outcomes. And so here's, here's and again, uh, not that this doesn't, and I, I feel like you can apply this in some other areas, but, but we're kind of talking about the context of ministry here this evening, okay? So in the context of ministry, here is a big problem that I am realizing that I have, and let me see if any of you can identify. We focus on the outcomes. But God is really more focused on the process. We measure by the outcomes, the positions, the titles, the honors. But God's measuring success is not really based, again, in this context, it's not really based on the outcomes. God's focus is more on the process. This all kind of for a couple of weeks now. I, I, I came across a verse, and um, before I read you that verse, I usually give you a definition of a word in the verse after. But let me, the, the word judgeth. You'll see in just a moment. The word judgeth is in the verse I'm going to, I'm going to read. And so, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, the word judge there means to separate, to put asunder. To pick out, to select, to choose, to approve, to esteem, to be of opinion, to deem, to think, 
to determine, to resolve, to decree, to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. So it's, it's, to, it's to draw a conclusion on something. So how is it, how does God, and therefore how should we, come to a conclusion of what success in our calling and our place of ministry looks like? Because the bottom line is, if I come up with measurements of what success is, and achieve those measurements of success but they have nothing to do with God's measurements of success, have I succeeded? Because there's lots of things we know throughout the Word of God that man's way, man's idea with something is contrary or at the very least just different than God's ways. And the bottom line is there's a whole lot of things in our world today that we define success by in a spiritual context that are not based on what God measures success by. So, so this, this verse a couple of weeks ago was brought to my attention. And I want you to notice what the Lord says through Peter. 1 Peter 1.17 let me, let, me let me just say, let me insert this. The, the, ultimate, the ultimate burden and goal here tonight is, is hopefully for some of you to do this. So I feel like sometimes, you know, just at face value, we hear the word works and we're like, oh boy, uh-oh. In this context, that's not the case. So, so listen to what he says. 1 Peter 1.17, If you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. The Father without respect of persons judges every man's work. The Amplified says it this way, If you call upon Him as your Father, who judges each one impartially according to what He does. Today's English version says, You call Him Father when you pray to God, who judges all people by the same standard according to what each one has done. I think we... At the very least, subconsciously, most of us would read 1 Peter 1, 7, that God judges every man according to his results. So success for us oftentimes is based on the results, the outcome. I I have succeeded, I am a success if I have great results. I am a failure if I have poor results. I try to be transparent 
I've always tried to be transparent in my preaching and teaching, so I will continue that this evening. I'll tell you what that's one thing this looks like for me just in the last two weeks. It's an area I've made progress in, but I have to acknowledge I've still got a ways to go. It's sitting amongst ten to 15,000 people in a general conference and sitting there while the preacher is up there preaching measuring success by the fact I've never stood up there and preached to a general conference. So where do I stack up in the hierarchy? Because of the results, the outcome. Peter says, God is not judging you based on your results. Back to the dictionary.com. God's not judging you based on your titles, your positions, the honors, the accolades that you have received. We measure success most of the time by the outcomes and results. We measure it oftentimes by how do we stack up to each other. This past week, Some of you may be on social media and be connected with someone that had a connection in it. This past weekend, the last couple of days of last week, going into the weekend in the country of Bangladesh, Bangladesh, however you're supposed to say it, they had crusades and over the course of three days, they had over 11,000 people that received the Holy Ghost. Thousands of miracles that took place. I don't remember, some of you were there, maybe you can remember, but at the general conference just in two weeks ago in Florida in the mission service, they, they, they testified about Madagascar and, and the thousands of people getting the Holy Ghost, getting saved in Madagascar. Through the years, there have been reports of, in, in the Philippines of thousands of people getting saved and getting the Holy Ghost. For years, they did conference. They did an annual conference in Ethiopia, where literally a hundred thousand people would gather together, and tens of thousands of people would get the Holy Ghost. That's awesome. Those are some awesome results. But there's now, I don't know how long it's been around. I only remember the term being used for a couple of years now. Maybe I've missed the memo somewhere. But over the last couple of years now, it's become a term that you hear more and more uh, a part of global missions and the UPCI, and that is missionaries that go to access challenged nations. In essence, an access challenged nation would be someplace like a Muslim country, where as a Christian, you can't go in there to start a church and evangelize and do you you got to go in undercover in an access challenge nation you celebrate the fact that one or two people got the holy ghost this year if works or excuse me if results is the measurement how does the missionary to the access challenge nation feel good when he hears about 11,000 people in a course of three days that just got the Holy Ghost. I get, let me just ask this question because I might be able to save us all a whole bunch of time this evening. Does this apply to anybody? Or is it, am I just, because I'll go in my office and stand in the mirror and teach to myself. So 
I'm not really, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I just, I just want to make sure. I know not everything that God deals with the preacher about is for everybody, but I just kind of have a little bit of a suspicion that he's not judging based on the... Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't have faith and believe and want to see results. But God's not going to judge you based on the results. He's going to judge you based on the work. In Romans 12, or excuse me, Revelation, we'll get to Romans in a second. Revelation 22 and 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his results have been. Am I wrong that that's kind of what our thinking usually is? According to his work, behold, I am coming soon and I shall bring my wages and rewards with the Amplified. Behold, I am coming soon and I shall bring my wages and rewards with me to repay and render to each one just what his own actions and his own work merit. Complete Jewish Bible says it this way. Pay attention, says Yeshua, I am coming soon. And my rewards are with me to give each, to give to each person according to what he has done. Now, now stay with me because we're going to get here in a few moments, but let me just insert it now. He's not coming to give rewards to what each person has done in comparison to what somebody else has done. He's talking about coming to give rewards to every man for his work based on his work. We may sit around measuring ourselves by ourselves. Judging ourselves by ourselves. Which Paul says is not wise, but we do it anyway. We're not supposed to, but we do. And the bottom line is we fluctuate between doing it both ways. We fluctuate at times between comparing ourselves to people that make us feel like we are nobody. And I don't mean they do stuff. I just mean based on their results, their success, we feel like we are nothing and nobodies. But then we can find some other people when we look at their success. Boy, we are are the best thing since sliced bread. God's rewards, and I don't have time, I touched on it several weeks ago when I taught a couple of weeks about the law of the harvest. There is a difference between salvation and reward. Salvation is a free gift. You don't earn salvation. Are there things that you do as a saved person? Sure. But it's not a bar, it's not a done, I, I am not doing things to earn my salvation. As Bishop has said numerous times, I don't come to church to be saved. I come to church because I am saved. I don't pray to be saved. I pray because I am saved. That's what saved people do. That's a part of a saved lifestyle. But I didn't come here tonight so I could earn salvation. There's a difference between salvation and rewards. And I 
You can find it numerous places throughout Scripture. There there are some things He is going to reward us for. Again, in Corinthians, I read it weeks ago. He says, every man's work is going to be judged, whether you built with gold, silver, or precious stones, or you built with wood, hay, and stubble. If you built with gold, silver, and precious stones, it's going to be tried by fire, but fire doesn't destroy those things. All fire does to those things is purify. If you built with wood, hay, and stubble, the fire is going to destroy the works you built, but it says you will still be saved. So he says, I'm coming and, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to reward based on the work you did. Romans 2 verse 4 says it this way. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, according to his work. He is going to give rewards to every man based on the Work he did. Not the results of that work. Again, you you can hopefully think of some ways to apply it to you in a more personal way. But back to my example. If if the guy that's trying to sneak and and do evangelism in a nation where it's illegal to hand out a track is getting his rewards based on his results compared to the guy that preached and 3,000 people got the Holy Ghost in the middle of the day because it's okay. That's pretty unfair. That's not what they're judged by. The guy that saw the thousands and thousands is judged by... How well did you do the work you were given to do? Were you faithful to do the work you were given? Did you do it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then to the one that was reaching the challenge circumstances, how did you do the work? I'm here tonight to be like Shine FM, positive and encouraging and uplifting. But I'm going to insert, because you got to get this, there, there should also be a soberness as well. Because the attitude with which I do the work God has given me to do, the spirit with which I do the work God has given me to do, is go, that's what's going to determine the reward. That's what success is being measured by. Not what results I produced. Coming and he's going to he's going to, to to render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance in well doing seek for glory and honor and immorality eternal and immortality not they're not seeking for immorality 
immortality and eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentiles. But glory, honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. In in essence, meaning he's not measuring one by another. When, when, when God looks down at brother and sister Boyer, who are deacons, and is looking at what they're doing, He's not measuring what they're doing, the job they're doing, by how brother and sister Mallory are doing as deacons. He's looking at how well are you doing the work I've given you to do? Are you being faithful to the work I've given you? Are you being faithful to the opportunities I've given you? And if that means you have one set of results or outcomes that may not be the same, there's some, there's some of our, 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 our groups, some of our oikois, our oikoses, <laughs> That I know supposedly the official is oikoi, but it still just sounds, when I say oikoi, I think of fish, koi fish or whatever. Believe me, the only reason we still call them oikos is because that's what I felt like we were supposed to do. I would have changed four years ago simply for the fact every time we try to say the plural, it just feels weird. Because it's not oikoses. (laughs) But we've got some groups... Some small groups, go with the generic term, that have, that have had to be split up because numerically they have grown so much in the last couple of years. We've got other groups that there has been essentially no numerical growth in those groups, but if you know anything about the people in those groups, individuals have developed and matured and grown by leaps and bounds. So if all we do is look at the results, we can judge one to be a success and another to be a failure. So God's not measuring what are your results compared to their results. God just wants to know, how have you done the work you've been given to do? Have you done it half-heartedly? Have you done it just kind of, you know, with, with, with just putting a little bit of yourself into it? Or are you giving yourself to the work? Are you sold out to doing the work? That's what God is most interested in. In, in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his... 
I've read those last two or three passages simply for the fact to just try to hopefully prove the point. I'm not just taking one simple verse and making some big thing out of one verse. There is a pattern throughout Scripture where he says he's going to judge you based on the work, the deeds, the works. Not the results. There have been a lot of times where in my heart of hearts, I knew, I believed, I did the work I was supposed to do. I did everything I felt like I was supposed to do to the best of my ability, but I didn't get the results I was hoping for. And rather than walking away with a feeling of accomplishment and peace and fulfillment, I, I, I've, I've, I think I've said this publicly. I know I've said it in at least some ministry meeting settings. But, but for several years after, after we were Antioch Central and the other two congregations were formed, for several years, almost immediately when I would walk away from the pulpit, when I was done with what I felt like in the altar call and whatever after preaching, the, literally the first thing I would do is I would walk over there, I'd pick up my phone, and some of you may not know this, but the ushers send an account to Bishop Wright and a couple of others of us, and we get a count for how many people are in service, how many guests were there, and, and literally the first thing I would do is walk over there and pick up my phone and look at the numbers. And, and, and what, what I realized was happening more and more is that we would have this service where there was a great move of God. No doubt people got touched. People got the Holy Ghost. People got baptized. God did some powerful things. And the second I saw that we had a number that was down that day, I was instantly deflated. Do, are numbers important? Sure. I don't buy the line that people greater than I have used. Of course they're important. There's a whole book in the Bible. It gets a little bit of a stretch to. But I do believe numbers are important. I believe I believe they they should be used as a measurement. But not the so you know what I've done for a couple of years now, although COVID really helped that. Because there really wasn't a whole lot of point in looking at the numbers in those services where we were having you come either morning or night. It was pretty obvious. So, you know, the Lord just kind of sped up the process through that. But thankfully, since then, I have maintained. It's usually not until the afternoon. I want to know. I keep track. I have a spreadsheet. I keep track of our attendance because, I, I, dear God, if we don't grow numerically, something's wrong. We should grow numerically. But the night I got ordained, Brother Kenneth Haney, who was the general superintendent of the UPCI at the time, preached that night. I don't remember if it was his title. I think it was his title, but it was a main statement he made a number of times. A crowd is not a church. And so just because a couple of thousand people gather in a building to have church and say they are church, that doesn't automatically mean 
that was free. If, if, if we're going to measure success by the results and what we see, then, then if we brought Peter up here tonight and Stephen up here tonight, there's no comparison. Who wouldn't think, who wouldn't say that Peter had the greater ministry? First day of the church, he preaches and 3,000 people receive the Holy Ghost. He, he, he goes to Cornelius' house and preaches the gospel. He, 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 he's led out of jail by an angel and other awesome miracles. Stephen, short-lived life with no, at the moment he died, no apparent results. There wasn't 3,000 people there that day when, when Stephen was dying, speaking in tongues. In essence, the main thing that happened that day when Stephen was being stoned and dying was the fact that there was this guy standing there named Saul who's standing there holding all of the coats but he just so happens to become the Apostle Paul. From that perspective, I think you could then sort of argue that maybe what Stephen did was greater than what Paul, Peter did, which is the problem when we get into using results to determine what is success and what's failure. I would venture to say if we were to go around and somehow survey some of the elders here tonight, I would venture to say that there's a number of them that would probably define themselves more as failures than as successes. Why? Because. That was a Brother Hurt reference, but some of you. Because the, 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 the measurements, there's not, a, there's not thousands of people in their wake that got the Holy Ghost and got. But there may be some souls who have become or may be becoming Paul's. In, in J.H. Jowett, I'm assuming that's how you say it, book on the epistles of Peter, he writes this. What is the bulk and quality of my work? If the Father judged me by my output and the shape of finished and realized achievement, I think that's supposed to be final, the shape of final and realized achievement, then I shrink from the wretched unveiling. I have labored for the salvation of men. How will he judge my work? Will he tabulate the results? Will he count my converts? Is that how James Gilmore will be judged, who after long years of labor in Mongolia could not record a single regenerated soul? If work means finished results, how few of us will be crowned? This is the work 
that ye believe. This is the basis of judgment. How much of holy energy is expressed in our relationship to God? What is the strength of our fellowship with the divine? That is the primal energy of character and that is the criterion of the divine judgment. Out of that energy of belief there is born the magnificent force which expresses itself in prolonged laborers prolonged labors in Mongolia, in fearless pioneering in New Guinea, in unromantic educational ministry in India, in plucky, and that's actually not a typo, in plucky, unyielding struggle with great evils in England, in tiring unemployed and toil among the poor, in dry and heartbreaking service among the rich, in steady, persistent battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. All these toils are the offspring of belief. In the energy of belief, they find their life and the secret of their dauntless perseverance. And so, James Gilmore will not be judged by his results, but by his bloody sweat. He will be judged, and so shall we all, by the supplicating wrestle of the heart, by the quality of our aspiration, by the depth and fervor of our belief. Some of you, no doubt, will not even know who this is, won't recognize the name. Some of you will, but Brother Dennis Sharman was a part of Antioch for a good number of years. Passed away. It's been long enough that it was still when the, uh, this was just a smaller sanctuary up here. He never preached, never sang a solo, never led a small group. But there was some things he did, one of them, and I remember, Brother Truss, I remember after Brother, Brother Dennis passed away, there was a question, a legitimate, serious question that was being asked. There was, it was not facetious, and I want you to hear me because when I tell you what it was, you're going to think I'm being funny. I'm not being funny. I'm being very sincere. The question was, who is going to take the responsibility now of making sure there's tissues out? Because that was one of the several things that he did and did very faithfully. You never worried about tissues being out. If his eternal reward is based on how many souls and how many messages and how many conferences and all of those things that are preached, he probably has a condo somewhere in the corner of heaven. But there was some other things. That's just one of the... If you've ever been in my office, there's two roosters in there. Yes, roosters. Bishop had eagles in his office. I have roosters. I don't know if there's some kind of deep meaning to that or not. <laughs> but I'll take my roosters. One of them actually was a gift when I was in... Uh, uh, preached in the Philippines. That was one of the gifts of appreciation. But the other one that looks more like a real rooster. Some of you may recall, Brother Dennis Sharman gave it to me, presented it to me on my birthday with a couple of page letter that God had given him that I still have to this day. I am confident that Brother Dennis Sharman received some rewards because he did his work well. 
you don't have control, I don't have control over what my work is, what I'm called to do. But I have full control over how I do the work. Most of you will be familiar with this passage, so I'm only going to pull out a portion of it, but it's the parable of the talents. You can read kind of the rest of it after the verses that I have here, but I want to read a couple of the verses for context. For this, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, I want you to notice this, this next part. To every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. He gave each one talents based on his ability. You need to trust that God has given you the talents you need for the calling he's given you. And so again, therefore, trying to measure yourself by somebody else that God has given more talents to is a very unwise thing to do. And the amount of talents is not the issue, as I'll get here in a moment. The amount, it's not, well, they've got more talents, so they're better than I am. That's, that's not what God's looking at. Then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. So, so this guy's given five talents according to his ability. He takes those five talents and he doubles them. The next guy's been given two talents based on his ability. He takes those two talents, puts them to use. He doubles them. And now we get to the guy that was only given one talent. And so therefore he was given one talent based on his several ability. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with him. He, He comes to settle up. And when he comes to settle up, he finds out the guy I gave five to now has ten. The guy I gave two to now has four. And the guy I gave one to still has one. I'm not going to read on for the sake of time. You can go read it yourself later. But when you read the next things that are said and the rebuke that is given to the guy with one talent, it had absolutely nothing to do with the comparison to how many talents he had versus the others. The rebuke of the guy with the one talent was not that you only have one talent and they've got ten, they've got four. That wasn't the point. The point was... They were given five talents and did something with it. He was giving four talents and did a work with it. You were given one talent and didn't do anything with it. He's not looking for you to produce what others produce. Oh, Brother Wright, you know, I hear you, but what about the fruit of the Spirit? Well, to me, that's more in the context of my personal relationship. And I don't, get re- I don't get rewarded for having love and patience and gentleness. And 
I'm not going to get rewarded for those. those. That should be the byproduct. I mean, it's like, it's like I, I don't know about you, but we, I, we've been, done various things through the years with, with, with rewarding our kids, but I didn't, I'm not going to reward you for doing your homework. I expect you to do your homework. I'm not going to reward you for brushing your teeth. That's for your benefit and my benefit in a lot of ways. My nose, my bank account, all of it. Those are things that ought to be byproduct. Those are not the things we get rewarded for. There should be fruit of the Spirit, but I'm not being rewarded for my fruit because if the Spirit's at work in my life, those are the things that are coming about by the working of the Spirit. But you, I, I, I gave you one. I wasn't asking you to produce what everybody else produced, I was just asking you to give yourself to what I had given you. I think back to the years of when we had 15 at times, we were up to as many as 20 daughter works that we called them at the time that met all over the place on Sunday mornings and I and we'd come in at every evening before Sunday night service and it was a five o'clock meeting with Bishop and, and all the elders would be there and, and every meeting you'd report on, you know, if nothing else, you'd give your numbers for that morning. Some people counted dogs and cats and <laughs> anything that was breathing to make their numbers sound a little bit better. I'm sort of exaggerating. <laughs> There's a couple times I'm not sure that might have actually happened. But going back to those days, you, you got, you know, we, we got we got the congregate we had the congregations couple at that point. There was there was two groups in Baltimore, two different daughter works in Baltimore and, and, and other places. But then kind of at the extreme of that, you, you had the you had the the congregation on the eastern shore. Those are worlds apart. Baltimore, inner city, and Kent Island, and Graysonville, and all that are worlds apart. So the the issue wasn't how are you doing compared to how they're doing. The only issue, the only question is, how are you doing with your work in the field you're called in? How are you doing with your work in the field you're called in? Are you doing your work with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And you had one person that got the Holy Ghost, and we're shouting, running the aisles over that. And, and, and this other group had 15 people that got the Holy Ghost in the same amount of time. What's wrong with you? I hesitate to ask this because some of you, you're just nice enough people. You're going to say yes just to be nice. But So if you lie, I pray that your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. It, it, am I making sense? Am I, is, is the Lord, hopefully, not me. Anybody, is the Lord helping anybody? I'm fishing. I'll tell you when I'm not fishing. I'm fishing. <laughs> All right. Watch this. Watch this. I just, I just started, man. You know, there's. 
I, I know some of you haven't really had a chance, and I know stuff like saying what I'm about to say can sort of cause issues or hurt even for some. I really don't mean it that way, but, uh, you know, for a couple of years now, Brother Grossbach spent a good amount of time with our, our deacons, our small group leaders, and I realize there's a number of you that are not small group leaders, and so you haven't had the chance to be present. And, and so please, please hear me, and please don't let that be a, a problem. But I, I sit there, and every time he comes, and uh, he, he, from my perspective, he sends, seems to spend most of his time teaching in, in one of the epistles. And every single time he teaches, like, what in the world? I've read those verses a thousand times. I never saw that. Which, again, is part of the beauty of Scripture and growing in God. And so I, the, 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 just literally just the last couple of mornings this week in my personal devotional time, I, I've, I've started reading, rereading 1 Corinthians and working my way through. Wow, there's, there's just some amazing stuff. I, I got to tell you if, if you, if the Bible is boring to you, you're, you might need, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. You might need to get a different translation. That might help you some. But I got to tell you, even at that, man, there's some stuff in the these and the thous and the haths and the ETHs and the ESTs. So listen, listen to, listen to what Paul says, First Corinthians 12 and 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, capital S, which means it's the Spirit of God. There are diversities of Spirit, or excuse me, of gifts, but the same Spirit. Don't raise your hand because I'm not looking for just a surface response. How many of you truly believe that? Because I believe a lot of us have struggled that if it's the Spirit, then we ought to be able to have the same gift. And if we don't operate in the gift somebody else operates in, there's something wrong with us. I mentioned it. Sunday night, I was actually going to mention it before I started, but I'm going to, I just finished uh, yesterday the audible version of the book, Brother Andrew, God Smuggler. And I'm going to tell you, you need to either get it and read it, or if you have any access to an audio book, you need to listen to that book. I said it Sunday night, it is challenging, inspiring, encouraging, convicting. We're intimidated to tell somebody about Jesus because they might reject us and that guy's driving hundreds of Bibles into a communist country, risking getting arrested. Very convicting. But the amazing, one of the things that stood out to me about it is he, he, his, his trips, and he, 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 spent, he took hundreds of trips. He actually just died uh, last year. Hundreds of trips. Millions of Bibles delivered. They did one deal where they had Bibles, I think it was China, Bible, a million Bibles on barges that they floated in secretly into. <laughs> but, but 
for the most part, in fact, really off the top of my head, I don't recall one of his trips where it was this, thus saith the Lord voice from heaven that led him there, got him to those places. It was just circumstances, situation, doors that opened and things that happened. I feel like there's a lot of times we minimize what God's doing through us individually because it seems like that mystical side is not there. I was thinking about this the other day and I've, I've preached about it in some form or fashion at times in the past, but, but, but just take one simple example as Joseph. We know God gave Joseph a dream. Joseph knew God. I think Joseph knew the dream was from God. Can anybody give me one example? Can anybody tell me one time in the course of Joseph's journey to get to being the number two man in Egypt, that the next step he took is because God spoke to him and told him what to do or where to go. In fact, what we see there was three, three major times being sold by his brothers, being betrayed by Potiphar's wife, and then prison several times the steps that he was taking that were actually getting him close to his fulfillment, he was taking them against his will. But God was obviously orchestrating, positioning. So there are, there are many gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord And there are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So you may be, God may have designed you to be used with one gift, one gift of the Spirit, and somebody else is being used in a different gift of the Spirit. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Lord, and it's not about the vessel, it's about the Spirit, it's about God. And God is the one that chooses how He uses you. I've said it before, I'll say it again tonight. I can do all things through Christ. Is that what the Scripture says? I can do all things through Christ, but I'm telling you, Christ will not do all things through you. There is no one person that is apostle, pastor, evangelist, teacher, prophet. What did I miss one? Because if any one person was all five of those things, they'd have the biggest head. He gave some apostles, some prophets of some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. That's why I've said it and I will keep saying it. I don't have guest speakers to come in here just so I can have a break from preaching and teaching. It's one of the things that I get to do that I love to do. But I do it because one single voice does not have everything it takes to get you fully equipped. And so what you've got to do is learn 
to operate in the gift God has designated you to operate in and do it to the best of your ability. And if you never do the other gifts that somebody else has, that's okay. He's not going to judge you by how you prophesied if that's not the gift He gave you. He's going to judge you by how you did what you were called to do. Paul says... Oops, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. For you are yet carnal. For for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and that walk as men? What I I think I could say in in the context of this message, the primary thing that they're having divisions and strife and contentions over is arguing about success and who's the most successful and who's connected to the most successful. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Paul speaking. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But both of us, both of them are ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God... But God gave the increase. Paul was not more important because he watered or because he planted. Apollos was not more important because he watered. What good does it do to water where there's no seed? What good does it do to plant if somebody's not going to water? Because ultimately... God's the one that gives the increase, and out of that equation, planting, watering, and increase, there's only one that somebody ought to get glory for, and the one you get glory for is the one that God alone does. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I've said it again, I'll say it again tonight. I personally have a struggle with the term soul winner. How many souls have you won? Oh, I've won 25 souls. Oh, really? So you planted and did all the water and the increase. Some sow. Some water. God's not judging the waterers, by how you sow. God's not going to punish the waterers because all you're doing is watering and you didn't put seed in the ground. And He's not going to punish the sowers because all you did was put seed in the ground. You didn't water. I'm of the opinion that God uses us in different ones of those in different lives. So that again, when all is said and done, souls aren't supposed to be notches on our badges on our chests. A soul is worth way more than that. Do I think I said it already? Do I think we ought to grow? Absolutely. Do it do every every time we come to church and sit here and and there's empty chairs all over the place, that stirs me. It ought to stir me. 
But the bottom line is this. If I can walk out of here with the peace that I'm doing the work, I'm doing what I believe God is calling me and telling me to do, He's going to judge. He's going to reward every man based on the work. I guess the bottom line is this. You just, one of the biggest keys, if not the biggest one of the biggest keys is you got to make peace that you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then when you settle that, just work on doing the work to the best of your ability. And you will be rewarded for the work. Not for the results. I wonder, and maybe some of you have got a better grasp on it. I've, through the years at different times, I've tried to understand it better. But I wonder if that's not some of the context of the parable of the laborers that were hired throughout the day. At the end of the day, the guys that were hired at the 11th hour and worked for one hour got the same pay as the guy that was hired at at six in the morning same pay he didn't break it all down based on how much work you did all that you accomplished you got paid because you did the work you were hired to do that's why naturally speaking in the workplace other situations, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to, you know, elevate yourself and move up the ladder and all that. that that's, as long as that's not your priorities, that's not, you know, you, but that's not, the, that's not the mentality that we're supposed to have in the kingdom. Jesus said the greatest of all is not defined by how we define it. The greatest of all is the one that's the servant of all. I feel like I've seen a few times through the years we've sort of allowed ourselves in the church to do what they do in the world and you see somebody that's developing and growing and they're doing really great in an area, an area of ministry. And then we start to think, well, they're doing so great there, maybe... Maybe we ought to promote them. What if where they are is where God ultimately wants them? And if you promote them just because that seems like the thing to do, you might be messing some things up. I'm not called to do the work that somebody else does. And I'm not called to do my work the way somebody else 
does a work that may be in a similar field. It's part of the that's part of the the, the principles by behind the structure of of our small groups at Antioch Central. There's some commonalities. There should be some fundamental elements that you can find, but then the application may be a little different. The way you do your work, young adult groups can do a whole lot of communication by texting. We had a very memorable, wonderful evening last night. My grandmother celebrated her 93rd birthday yesterday, and we had dinner at our house, and, and my, my aunt gave her a new phone, a smartphone. She pulled the phone out, and she poured the, pulled the charging cord out. She held them up. She held the charging cord up. She said, what is this for? She was as serious as could be. And my aunt told her, We're, I'm going to teach you how to text. She agreed. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. She, you, you, you got an oikos that's made up of older people. You may not be doing all your communication by texting. You do the work that God has called you to do. I've said it sort of joking, but probably more serious than joking. There have been times people have been here to preach, and I've sat up there on the platform while they're preaching, and while I am engrossed in what they're preaching and receiving from it, there's this other thought that keeps rolling over in my mind the whole time they're preaching. Great. I have to preach next week. How in the world am I supposed to follow this? There's only one way. And that is to do the work God has called me to do with the giftings and the abilities that God has given me. Say it again. There ought to be a part of this that should be sobering. Okay, if God's going to judge me based on the work and how I do the work, I want to I do it well. Is that not what we're going to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I probably shouldn't make this joke, but it's kind of sad. One way or the other, you're going to be well done. Sorry. That wasn't, that wasn't too nice. I have to tell Timothy's home not feeling well. I have to tell him that's, that's one of his. Well done. You did a good job. Again, I, I feel like I'm being redundant, but I just. Not you did a good job compared to the job they did. You did a good job because you did better than. No. You did well. You did what I called you to do. You gave yourself without reservation to what I call. That's what I'm rewarding you for. If you had all the great results everybody measures by, great. But if you didn't have all those results, but you did well. 
So the good news about that is this. You and I don't have control over the results. We cannot dictate, determine the results, but we can determine how we do the work. Lord, I pray tonight, I pray, God, I hope and pray that tonight is more than just words, more than just thoughts or ideas, but I pray that it's seeds that have been sown. Lord, there are precious people in this congregation, in this sanctuary tonight that give of themselves without reservation. And Lord, I I suspect because we're human beings and we have some similarities that I'm not the only one here tonight that goes through the battle from time to time of measuring and judging and worrying about the results versus focusing on just simply doing my part. Help us tonight. I pray, God, for every individual that the enemy may be beating down, wearing down because the the outcomes of success don't seem to be there. The, The positions, the honors, the titles, the things that we use to define success don't seem to be there, but they are giving themselves heart, soul, mind, and strength to the work that they've been called to do. Lord, that's, that's what you're asking of us. That's what you're looking for. To do our part with the work and trust you with whatever the outcomes or results may be. Lord, you've given to each one of us talents, abilities based on our ability. Help us, God. Lord, I, I believe that the potential of this congregation of the harvest and the revival and the things you want to do through us is, is influenced by each of us being content with where you've placed us, what you've called us to do, that we're not in competition with each other. We're not trying to determine success in comparison to others. But if each of us will just operate in the gift, operate in the, in the area you've called us and designated us. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit that's working and operating through all of us. And so ultimately, you're the one that gets and deserves all the glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. God bless you.